Hey, I'm Lynn Rogala. And I'm Allie Diliberto, and we are coming to you from the ladies' room. So we can talk about removing stupid, frustrating, and toxic shit from the world in a way that's not prim enough for the dinner table. Welcome back to the ladies' room. Smooth ladies' room. Smooth ladies' room. <laughs> We talked last week about singing and that was kind of melodic that I just did. And then I had to go ruin it. I'm sorry. No, no, you didn't ruin it. Um, Give it time. I saw something on, on social media this week that was kind of funny where someone had, someone did the musical notes for when people go, let me share my screen. <laughs> Can everyone see my screen <laughs> like that or whatever? <laughs> I, when, when I played it out, it didn't sound like how I've heard it, but people are just like screaming in laughter because enough people go, you know, let me share my screen <laughs> that you can <laughs> sing it. The Zoom life we all live. Here we go. Here we go. So just before we got on, I told you I had a bunny story and oh, you yeah. said save it for the podcast. I did. Yes. This better okay. not go the way that and con. Encanto went. Enchanto, what's the movie you wanted me to watch? Gosh, I'm going to punch you in the face so many times. (laughs) All you had to do was say the guy who made the music for Hamilton made that, and I would have been all in. But you didn't. You told me a bunch of other dumb shit I didn't care about. I told you the music was by Lin Manuel Miranda, and it's not my problem that you don't know his name. (laughs) You know, I don't know anybody's name. So since you're more invested in me watching the movie than I am, it might be a little your problem. I mean, your life sucks because you're not watching Encanto and you're going to realize how much loss you're going to feel. You're like the movie, the credits are going to roll. And then this, this existential dread is going to settle down on you. And you're going to be like, Lynn was right. The last (laughs) three weeks of my life have been a barren wasteland. I think it took me like six or eight months or nine months plus COVID to watch soul. So, you know, we'll see, we'll get there. How long did it take me to talk you into the chosen? I can't even remember. That one didn't take that long. Okay. That's fair. My chosen me crying so many times that I was enrolled. (laughs) My chosen t-shirt and Riley's chosen hoodie shipped yesterday and they're on their way. And I'm very excited. We ordered John a chosen hoodie, like last year and it never came. And I told John he was going to have to follow up on that. But at this point, we're just gonna have to spend another 50 bucks, I guess. You just consider it a donation at this point. Yeah. I think they still have the, the, if you donate a thousand dollars, you can be an extra in the feeding of the 5,000. So, you know, if you win the lottery in the next couple of weeks, you can just be all over that. I don't know if I have to win the lottery. I just have to be more invested in John's happiness. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. What was the one where they sat around for like in the freezing cold and it was miserable? Like who want, Oh, the, the last one. What was it? (gasps) The sermon on the Mount. Thank you. I'm like, he's talking up on a rock. Yeah. (laughs) People like children were freezing to death. It was like bitterly cold when it wasn't supposed to be. Didn't you watch that whole thing about that episode? No, I I was like, all these people worked really, really hard for this torture. So I don't know how invested I am. I'm not really the kind of person who wants to be an extra, but John would love that. Yeah, me either. I I just really kind of want them to get going on season three. Plus, if John's an extra on anything, I have to hear about it for the rest of my life. So remember like a few months ago when he was like a stand-in for 
uh, uh, the Wahlberg guy for like three days in a movie. But at least, so, at least this one won't suck to watch. Like I know now I have it on, on my agenda that I have to watch some cheesy Western because John is, what is he like Paco the horseman or something in it. <laughs> that might've just been what he was dressing up for, for his own amusement, but I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I thought he was telling me that the awful Nicolas Cage movie got picked up, which he might have said, but he was really excited to tell me that Father Stew, which is like the one that Mel Gibson's like shack up, you know, younger woman was directing like that movie got picked up and is getting released. So I'm sure I'll have to go see that like four or five times well, and hear know. about it until I'm 80. We know when it hits the video. <laughs> Whatever. You're going to fly here and dance around and watch the one. I mean, if it's a Western, it feels like you guys should fly here and we could go watch it. No, the Mel Gibson one. There's three. No, the Mel Gibson one was a Western. No, that's the Nicolas Cage one. Okay, let's move on. Tell me about Bunny. Okay, so Bunny the Talking Dog. This is another mind-blowing, like, not only mind-blowing. Also, if you don't know what we're talking about, you need to read the Beavers and listen to the Beavers and Dogs podcast. Bunnies and Beavers and Whales, oh my, is the name (laughs) of the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> it's well worth it that's in our and our, amongst our best podcasts yes it's going to be showing up in the oracle cards that Allie decided that we need to make I'm very excited that you I was wondering if you're going to make that be a secret that I wasn't allowed but we're both very entertained by oracle cards and I was like we need to make one I wonder what the context could be and then I started thinking of all the funny podcast titles we could have and so for sure like just imagine you can draw an oracle card that says you know bunnies and beavers oh my it's going to be a deck of 50 inside jokes from the ladies room (laughs) and that'll be the name of the deck 50 inside jokes from the ladies room and then we'll have a present to send all our favorite fans yes all two people who are listening to the podcast at this point speaking to both of you we're really sorry that the quality of the podcast has not been as impressive as usual we're gonna make it better today that's true the podcast really has dropped off okay so i'm gonna tell a bunny story and then we're gonna switch into the uh the actual topic of the podcast but this funny story is like in the in the evolving conversation about what's happening with the talking dog buttons this is so moving like there's there's something really amazing in how um how this changes our relationship to animals so bunny was having some tummy problems it seems like she kind of has like she's kind of a picky eater and she has stomach aches a lot like it seems like that's just kind of one of the things about her Mm -hmm. so she has the button for belly and she told her mom that her belly hurt. So she actually, she hasn't been eating very well. And she was actually able to say like, Hey, my stomach hurts. And as moms, you know, how amazing it is when the kids get old enough to tell you that they're actually having pain and where the pain is like where they can actually start to advocate, advocate and participate in their care. So she told her mom that her belly was hurting. They got her some new medicine. And while they were giving her the medicine, they told her this is for happy belly you know, eat this. Mm -hmm. It's for happy belly. And then later she went over to her buttons and she said to her mom, belly, you settle. So (laughs) she was able to tell her it helped her make feel better. That is first of all, amazing (laughs) that she's saying such complicated things, but also amazing because that moment, like I said, when you're a mom, when you have a baby who's crying and you don't know what's wrong, there's nothing, there's no feeling more helpless where a baby is just screaming and you know, they're in pain, but they can't tell you what hurts. 
and you have to kind of guess and do guesswork. And when they get old enough, like I remember when Riley was, I don't know, three or so, the first time she had a really bad illness before pre-oils, um, the first time she really had a bad illness after she was able to talk, it was awesome, but also a little bit funny, like darkly humorous, because she'd come out and say, I hurt, I hot, I barf, <laughs> I Aww. barf, like, oh, and it's, it's a little funny to have a three-year-old say, I barf. She might've only been two. Um, but it's also amazing when they can tell you, like, it hurts right here. This is where I'm having pain. So the fact that our animals might be able to tell you, like, I'm having a headache or that food upset my stomach rather than trying to guess, it's just like mind-blowing. I was thinking that I probably shouldn't admit that I was not ever that delighted that my children could talk. Yeah, but you didn't have them when they were really tiny, tiny. I did. I had Jake when he was one. That's not even real. I'm talking about like a two or three month old who is screaming in pain and you have zero ability to communicate with them. It's awful. No, I, I do. I've been around babies, but all right. Thanks for letting me off the hook. Yeah. Well, I could just go back and say, you're just like a terrible, heartless monster. That's fine. You could call the podcast. Allie is a terrible (laughs) heartless monster. Wait till you get that Oracle card, bitches. Heartless monster. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Perfect. We can't ramble all night because Riley's getting her hair done, dyed lavender. And when she texts me, I have to go pick her. Okay. So I figured that even though this is still probably going to be a multiple discussion podcast. Two of um, N. Two of N. Oh, here we go again. N to the power of. <laughs> so um, even though we will probably break this down, we'll probably get stuck on something to have to talk about just that. I thought if I pulled up the actual statistics that maybe we could talk about some of those dynamics. Numbers come out, quality goes up. So let's go. <laughs> That's like the best thing a math nerd could ever say. <laughs> I don't even like, no, like I'm not the kind of people think math, you're going to get me going down a rabbit hole, but people think of math as like one plus one equals two. And that kind of math is so boring to me. Like there was one summer after college where I spent uh, a, a summer doing theoretical research mathematics, like original research with a whole bunch of other people my age who are mathematicians. And we all went out to lunch. And when it was time to divide the check, it took forever because it's so boring. It's such boring that everybody's brain is like, nope, fuck you. I'm not doing that. So um, now, you know, yeah. good. Well, en- well enough. Okay. But we are going to have some statistics. Are you yes, ready? Statistics is fine. Yes. All right. So we're just going to talk about some of the statistical differences because people are really interested. I'm interested in why men do better than women in business. Um, statistically, right. Of course, that's all a one-off, but, um, I've been really thinking about this, um, a lot because of the, the claim that I heard that men earn four times the profit than women. I was not ever able to verify that at all. So that might be some specific place in the world or something. Plus different. it's, it's probably caveated a million times, like in businesses of this size and businesses of that size. But we know just anecdotally in, from our network marketing experience that um, 
like the small business owners that are women who have million dollar businesses is a relatively small number. And a lot of those are network marketing businesses. Yeah. Um, hybrids or whatever. Yeah. So that would be a fascinating conversation, but not for today. I'm not taking the bait. No, I'm not trying to bait you. I'm just saying like <laughs> that statistic. I'm resisting my own bait and how much I want to talk about that. No, but you couldn't find that particular statistic. statistic. I was able to find the, like some statistics about men being, you know, maybe 25% more profitable right. um, over overall. And certainly when you start looking at just sheer money and the kinds of businesses people own, et cetera, I'm sure you can pull those numbers out of somewhere, but okay. So he, this, I read lots of articles about this in the rabbit hole, which is really saying something for me, but this is the one that I like the most and the analysis of the most. So all it's from some blog called into the minds. So I don't really know anything about them, but into I'll the link. minds, like your brain or into the place where we get, or the minds, minds, like your brain into the minds, into the minds. And they okay. had several articles about things like this and data, you know, processing different things about it. So I'll send this to Lynn and she can link it in the show notes if she wants, but that's where I'm getting this. So this is the statistics, the difference between male and female entrepreneurship. So there, well, let's start with some highlights. So, um, this says women's number one proprietary activity um, is specific training. So they do 61% versus 54%. So the creation um, of activity is less opportunistic since only 21% of them declare to have identified an opportunity on the market against 32.7% of men. Okay. So stop. what they're, Wait, they're linking two things stop. together. Stop. I'm going to do it for you. I don't understand the statistics. So if I don't understand the statistic, then probably nobody else does, or I'm the dumbest person on the podcast. Say the thing. <laughs> Finally, the, let's call it a podcast. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Say the thing about the 50 and 60. It's what? Okay. What? So this statistic is they're, they're pulling into two of the statistics to say that men and women have different motives in business motive. I kind of okay. wanted to peel that out. Cause I didn't want to infer that necessarily, but fine. So women's number one proprietary activity is specific training. So the number, so, like the number one thing women are taking on in business is specific training. So like, I'm going to teach something mm -hmm. 61% of women. The primary thing their business does is teach something. Yes. proprietary way versus 54% in men 61 versus 54. Okay. Now I'm clear. I wasn't clear what you were even saying before, which is only, you know, like it's not a huge incremental piece, but you know, they start to stack. Right. So then it goes on in the same caption to say their creation of activity, like whatever they're doing is less opportunistic than men. So men look for the opportunity more than women do. So they only in the market and say, what do people want out in the market? What can Where I make money like, for? What entertains yeah. me? Right. So 21% of women declare to have identified an opportunity on the market and then gone into creating the answer to that. And that's 33% almost in men. And that those two statistics, statistics together are, are really interesting. And I have consulted with a shit ton of nonprofits and, 
um, small businesses and for sure in my nonprofit experience, I had to consistently more and more point women to not just solving something or not just, you know, putting not just like a nonprofit starts because somebody wants to solve a problem, but how you go about solving it is actually really important. And if you were in business or operating your nonprofit from a business perspective, that would be important. right? Right. So I, I consistently had to like address the, what you're doing, having any actual value far more, um, with women than I did with men inside the nonprofit space, especially. That's interesting. So, and I don't know how you curb that as a female entrepreneur, like it's nice, like, oh, I think people could benefit from learning about this. And I, I think it has value, but I think that, um, given also like the, like when it starts to bump up against lack of experience, um, a man with experience who's test a human being with their, with more experience, who's testing an idea for value in the market is, I mean, in my mind, like probably going to have better results almost just across the board because the market wants what they're developing. Right. And it probably stacks with, if I can throw in some of my patriarchy bullshit right now, it probably stacks with the stuff that women think is important tends to be undervalued. Like you can look at that across the board in the jobs that women do, like taking care of babies. So um, we've talked a little bit about this where like in, as a society, we maybe need to start connecting more with our emotions, or our spiritual side or whatever, but we don't really value that in like the current uh, market in America, in the West. Um, and so it probably stacks with that too. Like if a woman is putting out something that's touchy feely or related to one of these like less paid, like if you're serving daycares. Right. I was going to say one of the big factors that they address is that women often go into the service sector, Mm -hmm. um, additionally. So they're looking, they're like in a space around like supportive things and helping things. Um, that's not in this article. I don't think it's in something else I read, but for sure. Right. And again, like, I don't know, like, I'm not really as interested, like, I'm not as interested in the conversation about like, which things should be valued, which things shouldn't be, because I do really think if everyone gave their best in the world, women would be doing shit. They're not doing men would be doing shit. They're not doing, we would have overall significantly higher value being created everywhere. And that would probably be the fastest way to balance a lot of this out. I agree. Plus people would go and hug each other and deal with their patriarchy stress <laughs> disorder and then everything would be fine. You know, you make fun and you're snide, but you're really just inside the matrix, but we'll put a pin in that for now. I agree, <laughs> but I also think so something is happening right now in the United States that points to how little we value things even if they're super important, which is um so we're still in COVID. We still have like overloaded hospitals. And is that one true? Of, what? <laughs> I kind of feel like COVID's almost over in the U.S. Are you sure the hospitals are still overloaded? This wave is almost, I mean, like even in Pima County, I think we're over our Omicron wave, but let me say my thing because it's still relevant. So hospitals are, and I also read someone said, (laughs) a nurse said that um, one of the ways the COVID hospitalizations go down the numbers is if a person is there more than like two or three weeks, then they're no longer counted as a COVID hospitalization. They're counted as something else. And I'm like, okay, that's dumb. But anyway, so one of the ways that we've been handling this as a country is with travel nurses. Do you know about this? 
Of course. Yeah. I have lots of friends that are travel nurses. Yeah. And they're getting paid way above the scale of normal nurses. And it's kind of shining a light on all this different stuff. So it's putting a strain on uh, hospitals. And so Congress, some people in Congress and some hospitals, their solution is we should just cut the pay to the travel nurses. So supply and demand (laughs) is all well and good, except for in in a helping, like, God forbid hospitals dip into their profit margin, or God forbid we have a conversation about drug prices or any of the other million things that are inflating healthcare prices. Like these are people who have been on the front line for two years, who are burnt out, who are exhausted. People are leaving healthcare in droves for many reasons related to COVID. They're either just tired or they're exhausted by dealing with unvaccinated people, or they don't want to get vaccinated and they're not allowed to keep working. Like there's a million reasons. Or they're just tired of the fucking bullshit. Yeah. They're just tired of the fucking bullshit. And so they're leaving. And one of the ways that they've managed to keep the staffing levels that we desperately need to keep our healthcare system from collapsing is to offer these really high prices for them to like fly all over. And so when that starts to become a problem, the first thing they do is like, we should cut the pay the fuck. And there's no way that that's not related to the fact that we undervalue that contribution, even while still needing it desperately. So there's like a value mismatch in what they're offering versus what we're willing to pay for. Like we sure as hell, we're like, they're heroes on the front line. Oh my gosh. Everyone wear a ribbon that's pink for the nurse you love or all that crap. When the money, like when the money rubber hits the road, like eh, nurses aren't really worth that much. I don't really need to live. It's fine. <laughs> and it's just crazy. And my sister is a nurse and I've heard so many stories from her, but like, if you're in the hospital, your doctors don't keep you alive. Your nurses do. Of course. Yeah. You know, and she told a story once about, cause she used to be in labor and delivery. She's not anymore, but she used to be in labor and delivery. An amazing, amazing labor and delivery nurse. She came and helped me after Riley was born. And she told me a story about where she had a patient and she worked with the patient for, I don't know, like two digit number of hours. I don't remember how many, but two digit moving her around, turning her, putting through all these positions. Cause the woman really didn't want a C-section. So she was able to get her to the place where she was ready to deliver naturally through all of her magical right. nursing skills. The doctor walks in for like the half an hour delivery delivers the baby. And then the woman turns to the doctor and says, thank you so much. I really didn't want a C-section. And my sister's like, okay. (laughs) And that's just, we just don't. And and she said, she's had people tell her you're so smart. You should have been a doctor. And she's like, you want a dumb nurse taking care of you? Like nurses aren't just doc nurses. Aren't just people who weren't smart enough to become doctors. It's a totally different level of care, but it is very high touch care. And it really isn't paid the way maybe it should be. And now that we've finally been paying it in an emergency, it's literally the first thing they're talking about doing. And in fact, here in town um, in Tucson, one of the hospitals just announced that they're basically kicking out all their travel nurses or cutting them down to half of what they were paying, whatever it was. I don't remember, but I saw an article about it. Like, okay, great. Try not to get hurt in Tucson right now. So anyway, I think that's part of it. Like the way we, we pay for service and helping is not in alignment with how much value it provides to society. Like nurses I have literally kept us alive, but I want to ask you a question. Yeah, please. After how much money do you think a nurse should get paid in your 
view of their value. I can't possibly answer Come on, that. you can't just riff like it has to meet the road somewhere. No, because depends on their specialty. It depends on their experience. It depends on what they bring to the table. In the case of travel nurses, they're getting paid more because they don't have benefits. They have only contracts. They have, um, they have to travel. They have unpredictable schedules. Like one right, of the reasons I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm comparing doctors and nurses and not doctors and travel nurses. Like I really want just run a random number. Like, what do you think the average nurse makes? And what do you think the average nurse should make? I can't answer that. I don't know. You you're the worst. How about a doctor? There isn't even an average for doctors because even there, it depends on specialty. Like I know. No, I'm care- talking about just a general practitioner versus like, an, you know. I know there's a range and that there's nuance and there's geography and there's 50 things, but I'm asking because like, it's, I mean, this happens all the time. Like I have people who often rant about teachers not making enough money. And then I go, how much money do you think a teacher should make? And then they give me a number. And then the average in that state is higher than that. And I'm like, and they get the summer off. That doesn't sound like a terrible deal, does it? And they're like, huh. So that's why I'm asking is like, how do you value that? Like the, and you know, I agree our healthcare system's fucked and a lot of this is arbitrary and it's all part of a bad system that needs to be dramatically re- overhauled. But the average nurse in the US makes $75,000. That was in 2020. I don't have last year's numbers. And the average doctor makes um, between 180 to 215. So 215 is like the average for a general practitioner. I wasn't complaining about what nurses make on average. I was complaining about this specific devaluing of what they've done in the last year. So you're saying that because of what they've done in the last year, you think they should have a financial bonus? No, I'm saying that travel nurses very specifically have provided a service and are still providing that service. And Congress wants to pass a law to say they shouldn't make as much as the market has been paying them for that. Okay. So if what you're saying is that fucking idiots shouldn't be legislating, I'm all about that. I'm sorry. Say that again. The fucking idiot. What (laughs) shouldn't be idiots should not be legislating. I'm all about that. I mean, people who make rule responsive rules that aren't systemic is literally the fucking reason why we started this podcast. Like these systemic types of thinking, like lack of systemic thinking and like the problems that fixing it causes over and over like the crappy solutions and the way they build problems like that's exactly at the heart of it yeah but I was I was also tying so I'm not talking about nurses in general but I was tying this specific thing that's happening to the fact that we don't allocate proper value there because I don't think I think it would be super interesting if someone took a different model, um, and healthcare. I mean, God, it would be amazing if I got to see that in my lifetime, please. But if we actually could exercise a different model that doesn't operate, there's so many things that impact healthcare, but if you could operate on a really a value-based model Mm -hmm. inside healthcare, it would be amazing to see the results, how much money we would save. I mean, if we could even just make only consumers responsible in any way for the results of what they're spending or, 
you know, you could pocket the person who pays 20 grand a year for insurance and never goes to the doctor except for their physicals, like would have any benefit from taking care of themselves. Like that would be amazing. Yeah. And I mean, like for my particular labor and delivery experience, I had a very traumatic birth and Riley was sick also. And I had a bunch of nurses take care of me and they were not all of the same caliber and they did not all get the same results. And I'm sure they were all paid the same. And probably some of the shittiest ones got paid more than some of the best ones, just because the shitty ones had been shitty nurses for 20 years. And the good ones had been good nurses for five years (laughs) because there's no outcome base, but I wasn't talking about, I don't want to talk about the whole healthcare model, (laughs) but I was pointing to the fact that the first thing they went after to try to get costs under control was nurses. Right. But I mean, that was the thing that fluctuated the most, right? I mean, I don't know because like just hospital stays, like the amount of money that they charge for staying in a hospital and the different amounts that they charge for tests and being on a ventilator and all that other stuff. I'm sure there were a million things that could flex there. I mean, I think obviously PPE went up this year. Some of those expenses, like overtime in general in hospitals, like I read something about this. Um, when I was sitting at the hospital all summer, but, um, but I think that cost of nursing on most of the healthcare system was one of the, one of the big margins. So somebody's like, we should fix this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, And in this particular case, this was a community of workers at the end of two years of like really being in a very hazardous, burned out, whatever position, like if we want to play the supply and demand game, then stop fucking with it. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay. This has, however, nothing to do with the topic of the podcast. So no, I don't agree because tie it back in. <laughs> no, because one of, I'm, I am speculating that one of the elements of that is that we undervalue the contribution of services that are helping caring, whatever, like, like, uh, so to tie it back to the women entrepreneurs, I speculate that a woman would be much more likely to go into like a home elder care service than a man would. And we don't pay for home elder care in a way that, because we don't, well, partly because we don't value old people, but we don't value that the way that we value like a paintball shop (laughs) or, you know, entertainment or a cupcake store, whatever. So, but we as a society don't really value helping caring professions. We just don't as a, as a rule. Okay. So that's one of the elements of the conversation, but continue with all. Your and I'm not hundred percent sold on that. Like I don't, I do, I kind of do lean more toward like things produce their own value and that gets dealt with, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to think more about that. Are you ready for the, but that premise was essentially the motivation to enter the entrepreneurial space is for women, um, about providing specific training, which isn't as, um, whatever valuable, but then they also don't test the value of that in the market. Say that again. Oh, so the training you were just repeating, I thought you were giving me new information. So that's, that's point one. I was trying to understand what was new. (laughs) Love this, this part. Eventually you might, this might be the part where you start to get out like your little penis things that you bought at the gem show. I did not buy those. Not one. You sent me so many pictures. There's uh, there's still one more week of the gem show. So if you really want a crystal dick, I can get one for you. 
I mean, I already have a lot of conflict in my life about my penis scandal. Did I sent you the one too of like the poured out copper? There were these, there was this really cool vendor and she had all these poured copper. Like they just like pour out melted copper and it takes whatever shape. And this one looked like a little penis and it was even called little prick. I sent you the picture. (laughs) I thought it was alabaster. No, it was poured copper. I can, I can, I think I can put the picture on the, in the show notes. So, you know, there's something to look forward to. All right. Ready? Yes. Okay. Um, there are no fundamental differences in support between men and women. So women now finance, this, I, this is financial. financial. The majority of entrepreneurs do not seek support approximately 40, 40, 44%. Um, financial support. And what does that look like? Loans? Um, I don't, it doesn't get into that in this part of the article. I think it does later, but it says, um, the account remain, the accountant remains the number one reference point and entrepreneurship support organizations attract less than one in 10 entrepreneurs. So they're talking about professional services, not financial things, I think. Okay. So the, so anything I need to pay for, I'm just going to figure out how to do it myself. So financial support in your statistic is quant is, is no, not financial support, like support from professionals around them. Oh, okay. So the amount of support entrepreneurs get is about the same between men and women of like hiring people to help them. Yes. Okay. Got it. Okay. Men and women don't, this one's, I think really interesting because it ties in with the next one. Men and women do not prepare for the launch of their business the same way. The number one proprietary activity for women is specific training. Like we talked about 43 versus 31% for men and men are looking for potential clients, 45% of men and writing a business plan. So women are more like 8% less likely to even write a business plan before starting compared to men. Okay. And then market research is carried out by one in three men and one in four women. So I propose to you, why the ever loving fuck is that? Like, I think it just feels good to start a business and everybody will like it and want to buy it. And I just, it's what I want. So that's what I'm going to do. So saying it like that, part of the problem. (laughs) (laughs) and that is the end of the podcast all these women were so fucking stupid they would be able to get ahead um no but i mean i think there are some really so i think there are some rules about business that are i think the rules are gender neutral about business like i think there's definitely things that aren't gender neutral but there's there's some basic shit in business like pick up a business book for dummies take a 30 minute webinar about some shit you should do for your business like any level of participating um in a professional way would indicate that you need to do some market research you need to test your product before you spend you know 20 million dollars developing it like just like do some research before you get all in. So you're starting to get a little bit into the hardball for women territory. Remember when, when we talked about that book? Yes. 
Um, and that she talked about, like, I'm not going to make any assessments on whether this is right or wrong. This is just how business is done. And so if you want to play, you have to play like this. So you're a little bit in that territory because that's some of it. Like, here's the reality of how we currently play this game. But you're a landmark graduate along with me. And you know that we can create any games that we want. So um, I don't disagree with you, but I think there's still like there's a world in which like these are the rules, just like I don't think like you hold a baby, you know, like however, you know, maybe someone without any experience would approach that. Like, I think there's ways that, you know, the rules about nurturing and being a good parent and like, you know, a good, like making relationships work, like there's all kinds of skill sets and just basic frameworks for things. And I think that it would behoove anyone starting a business or a nonprofit or whatever to examine what makes a successful framework. And it's totally fine to set that aside and say like, I don't care. I just want to record my podcast and make Oracle cards because that'll really make me happy. And we'll see if it generates value later. Like it's fine to do that, but it's really different to do that inside of like, I need to create a business that, that supports me or that is really like revenue driven. So, like then that's a hobby. No. So there's something in between. So you're, you're taking two positions as if they're the only two positions and casting the one is very extreme and dumb. Um, and there's like a new, there's a middle, it's not even a middle course. It's like something totally different. You and I have talked about this offline before that there's a lot of women, a lot of women who have been working, like, how can we break in? How can we break the glass ceiling? How can we blah, 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 blah. How can we get a seat at the table? And a lot of them, thought leaders and entrepreneurs and people with multi-million dollar businesses are saying, fuck it. We're going to build our own table over here and we're going to play a completely different game. Um, and there, that's happening. And so there's a place where what you're saying is there's some stuff that's always true, right? Like, if you sit at home and you stare in the corner, you'll never have a business, but that's a complete straw man. I mean, there's people doing that, but they're just deluding themselves. Like you and I have doTERRA businesses and you, you and I have both had people who came to us and said, I want to build a doTERRA business. And the way I'm going to do it is every day I'm going to sit on the toilet and I'm going to think about which oil I would like while I go pee. And then from there, I'm going to hit diamond in six months. Like that person is clearly delusional. But there is definitely a conversation among women of inventing a new game, a new way to play, a, a, a way that works for women better than the way that we currently play does. And but that's it, even a still a different conversation because we're just looking at what, like in this conversation, we're not, I'm not saying like, yeah, invent a different role. Like if you want to take the risk and take that approach and like, that's how you want to go about it. Fucking yeah, do it. But then you have to also play accountably inside the same results or create your own results that you're playing for, I guess, but it's still a different conversation. Like, I mean, same with doTERRA, right? Like we start looking at high doTERRA is a hybrid, you know, anyone that works for doTERRA as a consultant or with doTERRA as a consultant, um, that's a hybrid business. And that's a way to leverage different things that we're still having a different conversation about business than just a standard yeah. you know, business so discussion. When you bring in the doTERRA business model, you're kind of muddying what I'm talking about. Like I'm talking about creating almost, and this is something you and I are all about. Like there are women and men too, but it's being led by women who are like, I'm going to create a whole different economy where things are valued differently, where like we go about work completely differently. 
And so when we look at the statistics, like so much percent of women do this, so much percent of men do this, like there's two ways we can go about this, or maybe even some like mix and match, you know, Chinese menu type thing. We could teach women better how to conform to the rules of business as they currently exist, the hardball for women route, right? Or we can look at how do we build systems of economic exchange that work better for the way women work, think, and how they organize their lives? Or do we strike some middle path? Do we take column A, column B? Like, I don't think it's, I think it's the same conversation. Like women are held back by not, not properly complying with the current rules of business. So they can either comply or we can try to create another successful model of economic exchange that is better suited to the way women want to run businesses. Okay. That's so happening. I mostly, when you talk about this, I'm like, yeah, that's nice, but I don't know how much that's actually happening in like in any way that's really super measurable, but I would love to hear some examples. Like give me some examples of what that looks like in the business world and how, where that's happening. Like, what does so it mean? It's mostly in the coaching communities that I'm in. Cause that's in the primary community I'm in where women are building successful six and seven figure businesses by working fewer hours, by following what they feel like their intuition should do when it comes to their marketing, by setting up schedules that work for like whatever neurodivergent brains they have for like inviting in magic, for using Oracle readings. Like I'm watching it work and I'm in a very small community. Like I'm not in a community of every single woman entrepreneur ever. And it's also just like barely scratching the surface about, of it. Like Glennon Doyle talks about this too. Like we're on the brink of creating something new um, that I think is really interesting. And I think will work better, not just for women, but for people who just don't want to fight the model, like, or don't want to fit the model. Like the, the way that we currently have um, capitalism in the U.S. has been severely I don't know what, modified, exposed, whatever by COVID in a way that something new is getting invented. And a lot of it will have elements of capitalism because all the women I'm talking about still take credit cards and still pay their taxes and still participate in that system. But they're experimenting with building things in a completely new and different way. And it's working, but it's really brand new. Like if you want me to point to 20 year old books to show how it works, I don't have that. No, I'm not asking that, but I'm saying like, okay, so you can find places it's working in the coaching community, but it's still barely anecdotal, right? Like you have coaches talking to other coaches. Like I want to know like where else that's being extrapolated. Well, how am I supposed to have that information? I don't know. I mean, you read all the things and research all the things. So I was just curious and I'm not dismissing it, but I'm saying like, you know, like there's a yes, there's like a yes. And in that, because I think there's enough, this is going to sound so shitty. I'm really sorry that I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say anyway, I think there's enough people who will follow someone who tells them they can have it how they want it, that you can have a slice of success from that, from that by itself. Like you can get rich quick. You can show up however you feel like and have a successful business. You can do whatever, right? Like there's enough people who can be persuasive selling anything that people just want it to be that way. And then that, that a certain percentage can have a following. Like I would like to see 
you know, how that really like duplicates and extrapolates. And like, I still say that they're probably following whatever sort of like a lot of the rules are. They're just around business and success and the structural parts of business. And they're modifying, you know, if they're not just selling bullshit, you know, then they're modifying, you know, the things that are more enjoyable or workable for them or that produce in a different way. And that's great. But I still want to see like what that actually creates overall, because I don't know if we can have a whole economy where like everybody just shows up like a certain way to work without growing and developing themselves really differently than we are right now. So number one, you're going to just have to wait because this is a, no, I'm serious. This is a baby experiment. This would be like in 2010 and you were, and you like doTERRA was founded in 2008 it would be like if you came to someone in 2010 and said well prove that you know all these people can be blah 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 and da, da, da. you just have to wait for it to play out and it's either going to work or not um but you also said something really key which is in order for this to work people are going to have to develop themselves differently like we're going to have to that's why it's all interconnected that's why it's so hard to not go down rabbit holes on this podcast because in order to do it we're going to have to change the way we educate people like one of the, I meant more that the entrepreneur, the leader, like the person owning the edge of change is going to have to, at the heart of whatever they're doing, produce insane amounts of value, um, or, you know, comparable amounts of value. Like, I don't care how we do that. And then you're saying, yes, as the economy participating in that value, like we have something to grow and develop and whatever, but, um, I still say like they're producing value that's getting monetized and of that course. requires growth and evolution and, and delivering in a way that I don't think most people show up to having a coaching business show up. No, of course, of course. Like this is going to require part of why I'm so excited about this is that this is, I think the next big leap forward. Like if we were sitting, you know, 400 years ago, I don't know, I don't know history where all the dates go like (laughs) if we were serfs right and someone was like maybe someday we could decide what kind of job we want and it wouldn't be based on where we were born and I heard about in the next village over like people get to decide kind of what they feel like doing and then as long as they can you know make a good axe they could be a blacksmith even if they were born a farmer and somebody's like fuck that's ridiculous you have to show me 50 blacksmiths right right now there's only one like that's what it feels like to me that this is the next thing it's like a big evolutionary leap forward but it's going to require a big evolutionary leap so you think the big evolutionary what's wrong i can't say evolutionary i'm having a hard time evolutionary evolutionary so the big evolutionary leap forward in the economic model is going to require a big evolutionary leap forward in humanity. And I think we could be on the brink of something that's more pleasurable. Like there's, there's kind of a joke floating around because you and I both have a landmark background and we talk about how it's all made up. You can make up whatever game. And someone just jokingly said, but I was thinking the same thing, like humans get to decide to do basically as, as humanity, not individual humans, but as humanity, we get to make up whatever game we want to play. And someone picked taxes and credit scores over floating in the ocean and dancing while we eat papayas, right? Like, 
and it's an extreme and it's like tongue in cheek and humorous, but there is something really true about that, right? Like we've created an economy that doesn't work for a lot of people. And that also is like not very pleasurable and enjoyable for a lot of people. And we did that. Like we could do something different and we could do something where like, what if we did have an economy where if you felt like making art, we had an economy where that worked for you. And if you feel like making movies or you feel like, you know, writing, or you feel like your best contribution is to like walk around galvanizing people by kicking their asses or whatever. And that it, but, but it requires us all to develop ourselves, like to rise up to a new level of God, I'm sound like such a hippie, but like to a new level of consciousness and awareness and like the way we look at it and create language and all that stuff. So it's, it's like a both. And, and I think that's part of why it is happening in the coaching community first, but I've seen it happening a little bit with authors, a little bit with what Brene Brown is playing around with, even a little bit of what Beth Moore is playing around with. And that I think that is the next thing. And it's really interesting because if we are jumping forward into something where we get to kind of create the reality, then we can make it work for women and men without all this like hardball for women type stuff. So I, it's really interesting because there's like a place in the conversation. I'm all for this, right? Like I want the same outcome, but I don't. I have a really pragmatic like side of, of me. So that might be some of the disconnect, but I don't think, um, like the way that I've seen people developing themselves to give greater value to the world has usually been fairly painful. And I think most people show up for the shitty pain of working a job they don't like and never, you know, stepping over that, whatever, um, always stepping over that and never, you know, really taking it on. So that doesn't produce anything. The system doesn't pull for their greatness, as I right. love to say. Right. However, in your model where, and you like in your discussion, like there's something about the, like, I don't know, it's not even like hardball, like, or even gutting it out is not quite it, but like, I don't think I don't know. There's like, I mean, I'm more interested in the structural changes. Like I love all the conversations when we talk about like, um, unlimited time off and things like that and what that would look like and, you know, how we share some of the burden, you know, our employees are taking on too much of the burden. You know, there's lots of great conversations, but I think when, and maybe something just totally new will get born. But I think that what's going to happen is that we're going to end up with a lot of different hybrids while we're experimenting and people will have to develop themselves yeah. inside of delivering value. But I think the disconnect is like, I'm not detached from like, I'm, I'm now we're getting into the really unprocessed space, but I'm not, I like, I mean, I don't have any problem with the sort the current, like discuss like value, how things are valued. I'm like, just produce more value. But I do have, uh, like when you talk about it, it's almost like, well, this is how I want it to work. So that's just how it should be. And it feels a little like airy fairy to me. And you're not really airy fairy normally. So I'm not being, I don't mean it disrespectfully, but there's like a a lack of pragmatism around it that I usually like it's like 
you're reaching for something that you haven't discovered the first like real foothold in. And it's hard for me to get over there with you on it. I think some of it is that I'm not creating all of it on the podcast. Maybe part of this is too, that we are, we're getting into more like the first few podcasts were things that we've talked about for like weeks before we got on the podcast. (laughs) So there's a lot more, I'm hearing a really weird chime. Is that you or me? It sounded like it was coming through the computer. So I don't know. Um, So there's a lot that I'm not like creating for you, but I'm, what I'm really pointing, pulling the threads on is when we talk about why women aren't as successful in business, some of it is how do we fit women to the existing model? And some of it is how do we smash apart the model? So it fits women better. Okay. So I don't, I I don't, I mean, I know where you landed in that, but like, I'm talking about really basic shit, like, Hey, um, why don't we do a business plan and do some, you know, market research and make sure there's a value in what we're offering. And you're like, well, let's just have a different model. But like, I'm talking about stuff that seems like a pretty low cost place to start to, to just ensure your own success. Yeah. And I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just trying to bring all of it into the conversation. Like I don't want it to turn into a hardball conversation or hardball for women. But I do want to say to women who are thinking about being entrepreneurs and men either like invest a little bit of time on the front end and be responsible for like, are you playing a game to show up and make money? And do you have a path to do that? That's delivering financial value in the economy then great, go about it. And if you want to play a different game, then define that. Don't bitch if it doesn't work, like take it on that you're going to pioneer something. Yeah, that's fair. And um, taking on pioneering something actually requires more than trying to fit the old model because it requires everyone everyone I know who has done this like built these six and seven figure business inside what you could argue is a new model has had to do massive, massive personal development work, like massive transforming themselves into people who can create at that level. Um, and that is like, a lot of people aren't willing to take that on, right. They would much rather just do like, there's a lot of people who work jobs they hate because they would never want to take a risk. Like I had a conversation with Riley today. Um, she's she's in writing classes but she also writes a lot on her own and I said will you show it to me and she said nope I said not why not she said I don't like showing my writing to people I said even your mom and she says no because whenever I show it to people I think it's the worst piece of crap that's ever existed once they look at it and I said you know Mm -hmm. that's a really normal way of feeling and if you can't be with that feeling then you will never be an artist in the world like your work will never like she has ambitions to be yeah, someone who supports herself with her art, which is going to require her to create, like she could go work a job and just draw the picture someone tells her to draw, or she could have her full creative expression. And what she's going to have to grow through to get there is being willing to show her stuff to people and risk that they're not going to like it. So if we want this new model, it's going to require massive amounts of personal growth and changing the way we look at things as humanity, that's what I'm kind of pointing to is like, yeah, we can try to conform to, and of course the basic stuff, right? Like, like, uh, I just finished this garbage post challenge. One of the things in the marketing class I'm in where you, you just post all the time and you don't worry about if it's perfect and you don't get yourself caught up. And it's, it's all about like unleashing your voice. 
it's not about producing anything other than like a more self-expressed per self. And someone was talking about, they did the first one where they created all the posts and didn't put them on anywhere. You know, they just like created them on their computer and it, it's a fucking worthless way of implementing. Like they completely missed the point, right? Because it's to pull you through that keyhole. So these new ways of doing things are going to require us to completely restructure like ourselves, our brains, our nervous system, all of it, not just as individuals, but as all of humanity. But I'm totally here for that. I think it's really cool. So that's what I'm pulling into the conversation. And I don't really mind the one-off conversations, but I do, I think it does also take something away from the entrepreneurial conversation because things are still what they are. And I don't know how many entrepreneurs like jumping in right now can like, uh, like, I don't know how many people have the space and bandwidth to do the kind of personal development to play at that level. Like, I think they have a, um, like a huge gap just to take, just to get to being a successful entrepreneur by itself. And let's see, you're now you're begging the question because you're back to what I would call the hardball for women. I'm not, which is, well, I don't, I feel I, that was a totally gender neutral conversation when I would set it. Um, I said, most people, I'm not talking only about women. I but think it, most it, people in the, so you're talking about having people conform better to the current model as I'm the not, solution. I'm That's not, it, I'm not only talking about that. I'm talking about like playing a better game, like playing, showing up better for the game you're choosing to play. And I don't think most women or men starting business are like, I'm showing up to play a different model, like to create something different. They're showing up to be successful at making money at, you know, their training or their course or their consulting or their thing. And if you're showing up to create a different model that works differently and you have the time and space and runway and ability to be accountable for that, go right ahead. That's freaking awesome. But if you're, you know, a single mom or single dad or, you know, a, a man or a woman responsible for your family's financial well-being and you're jumping off into the next space, like, I don't think most people have space to do only the one thing. And I think doing like getting the experience and success inside a mostly current model um, and then developing other ways to make it work along the way is probably a but more effective just, way of developing their themselves. You just set up a, an extreme straw man again, which is like every place they run up against an obstacle in the what's happening in their business is an opportunity to say, do I need to build a skill that fits this current model of how business is done? Or do I need to develop a skill that works better for me that would also get the same result at each point? at each point of building, like it's not, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be a super extremist, like, like the way you painted it, like, oh, I'm just going to do a whole new thing. And it's the only thing that's ever going to do. It can be like, how can I make this fit me better? I think that's not untrue, but I think most of the change and development that I see people butting their heads against is personal development that they need to do to be successful, no matter how the game was played. And that Often when people are like, how do I do this differently? They're just wanting to avoid the personal development that's in front of them. And, you know, maybe I wasn't in the conversation and maybe I'm still not about 
you know, what's the better way to do it? Like, I mean, you and I are super strategic and every time we've ever looked at how is there to do something, we're like, is, how's the best way to get this done? What's the most efficient? Does this work? Does this suck? Like, do I want to participate in this way? Like we have those, we've had those conversations for years, Yeah. but I, I, at the end of the day, like either way you go still requires a tremendous amount of, of development of yourself inside that. And I think that, you know, there's not as many places to pivot as it sounds like when we're talking about it in like this very so let me give way. you let me give you a more concrete example of how this might look. So there's kind of a conversation. If you look on Instagram, if you like follow entrepreneurs, especially male entrepreneurs, there's kind of a conversation of like the best way to do it is to get up at 5 a.m. And to, you know, do this and to like have a, a, a strictly scheduled week. And it's not just men, but it's kind of has a very masculine energy to it. And, you know, you should have all these time blocks everywhere and every minute should be scheduled and blah, blah, blah. And that way of working doesn't work for a lot of people from getting up first thing in the morning to having every minute scheduled, all those things that work for some people, because it's not just women too. It's also people with like ADHD, autism, all these different like ways of being that are different than the standard. Mm -hmm. And so if you come up, up across like, well, in order to be a successful entrepreneur, I have to look like this, then you're more likely to quit. But if you're allowed to consider like, is there another way for me to still get my stuff done without needing to have get up? Like maybe I could go from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. And maybe that works better for me or whatever the numbers. Don't worry about the numbers. And maybe this new way of scheduling works better for me. Maybe this way of scheduling works better for me. But like so much of the the like standard, um, I can't think of the word. Yeah, I mean, like the, I the, I can I can see wisdom. that. I don't disagree with you. I I mean, I can see that. I mean, there's a lot of books and a lot of things like Miracle Morning and Five AM Club and all these different books, and they're great at what they're great at. But. Um, I think um, that the value, like the, the conversation you're alluding to is like, how do I produce at my best? And is that really getting up at 5am or is it having a break every 90 minutes or does it work like this? And like exploring different models to look at how you perform the best. Um, I think that's great. I think there's a lot of very masculine, like you know, work a hundred hours a week and just roll up your sleeves and just, you know, right. nose to the grindstone and that's the way to do it. And I think going, that's not available to me. So how do I do it in a way that's effective or who do I build partnerships with or do whatever? But I don't even think most people are getting into those conversations, but that's still about delivering value. Yeah. And I'm not arguing with you about delivering value. What I'm, what I'm rubbing up against is looking at like how women measure up to the current way of entrepreneurship and how do we like fill that gap and I don't think the gap is only to make them better at measuring to whatever the standards are I think another part of the prescription is changing the way we do stuff like challenging the 100 hours a week challenging the 5 a.m challenging 100 like challenging a completely like upward trending growth curve challenging no cyclical like challenging that every day you you're on the same energy and that you don't ever honor the cycles of your body, like challenging all of that stuff is part of how to make business, the business world more like less hostile to women, which is part of the issue. 
It's really interesting because I mean, we're down this rabbit hole, so we're here, but, and you keep taking my fucking interesting conversations and like dragging them off into this other space, but it's not, it's, I, different. it's the same space. <laughs> I mean, that's, this is part of but the problem. Are any of the things I actually said, like, how would you do that differently? Okay. You're like the statistical stuff. I said, like we went down this, this shoot when I said, like taking the time to do a business plan and doing something statistical. And these are just basic, smart business practices that are gender neutral, in my opinion. And then you're like, but there's a way to do everything differently. So what the fuck is it if there is like, I think people who we know people who write down goals are more likely to achieve them. Like there's just, it's been studied a zillion times. Like a business plan is just a roadmap to get to a goal. So, and something to measure yourself against. So what does that have to do with reinventing a model or doing anything differently? You're making a straw man again. It's impossible to talk to you when you're like this. No, what I'm asking literally like the things I'm pointing to, I'm like, these are just basic good business practices, in my opinion, and women are not doing them at the same percentage as men. I'm not talking about working hundred hours a week. Like how much are men putting in when they're starting business? You know, how much money do they have to bring to the table? That's different. Like those are all different, you know, those are all different conversations perhaps, but I'm asking really like of the statistic that statistics that we've talked about, like, do you not think that those are rather gender neutral? Like you think that the statistics we talked about are things that only exist inside a male dominant perspective and space around doing business. No, I'm saying the approach to those things tends to be a one size fits all. And the size is like the make a business plan. Like the way you would do a business plan, maybe you should draw a picture. Maybe you should write a song about what your business should be like just taking on. I mean, I'm not, I never said not to do a business plan. I'm trying to bring a texture to the conversation, which is when you take all these statistics and say, women do this, they don't do this. Men do this. They don't do this. Why? If we don't answer why, then who cares? Because if your prescription is we should make them do the things, that's not enough. Like we just, right. I mean, them. I think you can get into why, but also like I can make an, I can make a whole shitload of women more effective by having them do a business plan. And that will take, you know, a week of their time before they start business or market testing or anything like that. And I would, I would love to do a study. It'd be so fun. I wish somebody would do this for me, but like, I don't give two shits how somebody creates their business plan. I don't care if they meet with somebody. I don't care if they fill out a form. I don't care if they make bullet points or draw a picture or, you know, cut out pictures in a magazine and put them in order. Like I don't give a shit how it gets done. I just care that it gets done and it probably doesn't matter how it gets done. Yeah. And that's the conversation of making these things more accessible and fit better so that they are able to be done. But I don't think the reason women aren't doing business plans at the same percentage and men are market testing is that they don't fit them. I think that it points to probably what we have to talk about on the next podcast, which is what they're not socialized to do it. Why? Women are bad and they should be spanked. No, I mean, there's a no, whole other set that's of really statistics. Your, that's really your position. I mean, that's really what it comes down is that it. No, that's, that's not true at all. Yeah. I think when, I think what I really want is for women and anyone who's an entrepreneur to be, to be um, like accountable for like the, like taking on the things that are likely to generate their, their, their highest level of success. And I don't think that that's, 
you know, whatever reason, one group is more likely to do it, white, black, Hispanic, not women, male, gay, straight, like whatever the reason is, like do it when pockets of people, like I'm not as interested in the why as much as like, hey, why don't we take on these things? And as an entrepreneur showing up to play in that space, like, why don't I look at all the best practices and adopt or reinvent them? Like you and I have done, talked to so many people who are like, I want to do this, but I don't ever want to do any of the things. And you're like, you can't remove these structural pieces of a success plan without putting something else in its place. So I'm fine with that. Take things off the table, go, I don't want to do sales calls. And that's something people in my industry do that are successful. Awesome. What do you, what can you, what are you going to do instead? Great. Well, go try that out and see how that works. Like, or see if it's working somewhere, if you can. And that's the conversation you're calling a rabbit hole. I'm not because I'm not looking at it as no, the conversation about just inventing something new. I'm, I'm just saying like, I want to come at it from a space of accountability for playing for the results and like looking at where the gaps are because that's such a fast cheat. But the next hole and what I, where I think men and women are less, less um, uh, competitive in the entrepreneurial space is way harder to bridge. And that I'm way more interested in bringing creativity to. And I think that's more likely to pull for the next thing. But again, if I even say it, we will be on another hour. So we have to save it for the next podcast. No, we can't because I have to go get Riley. But what is your thing to set it up for the next time? You said less competitive, being less competitive. No, I said like that makes them less competitive. Oh, that makes them less competitive. So tune in next time for the next secret thing. It's, it's not a secret. It, it boils down to experience. Like it boils down to experience and partnership and that I want to take that conversation on. Like I'm, there's so many great statistics around the level of experience women have and different things around confidence and some of those things. And that is a hundred percent, a different conversation. Like that's yeah, where the conversation really pivots. Like, I wonder if women would just take on all the shit that is just sort of like make a business plan and do whatever. And if we could you know, set up a lot of the things like at a neutral and then test these other things. Like these are the places to have the greatest, um, leaps, I think. Okay. So we'll talk about that next time in the ladies room, in the ladies room. Do you wish you were here pulling my hair? Um, I'm more <laughs> of like a smash someone's face into the wall kind of person. Less the hair pulling. <laughs> So glad you're far away. So I don't have any bathroom <laughs> tiles in my face. When Riley was little in the car and people would like do really dangerous things around, like in traffic, I would have these very vivid visions of like pulling them out of their car and smashing their head repeatedly into the pavement. Like how oh, dare you threaten <laughs> my baby? No, but I think it's interesting because there's still a lot of unprocessed stuff here. And I think sometimes when I listen back to the conversations, I get even more mad. Um, because I think we're also still at cross purposes. Like we need to talk yeah. about straw men and extreme positions because <laughs> it's impossible to argue against a straw man because the straw man is very easy to set up and like say your position is dumb, but that's not what I was saying in any of the cases, but it's all right. I mean, let's end this on a positive note because not smashing pede- uh, like other you, motorists into the pavement. We were just talking yesterday or the day before about how we can disagree about an infinite amount of things really 
a very long list of things and we can still belong to each other. Yes. And that is a wonderful space to be in. And also I know that whenever I disagree with you later, I'll have to take on board that your perspective is like, I wish Allie was more evolved than she is. <laughs> She'll eventually catch up. She will and eventually. that at least 75% of the time you're right. When you say that, I know. So there's a place where like you were poo-pooing patriarchy stress disorder, and we should talk about it on another podcast, but not tonight. Oh God. Um, because that is a huge element of this because it's not conscious. It's like the programming that women run. How did you get to say patriarchy as we were ending the podcast? No, I'm saying like, this is like, that's part of it, right? Is like, that's why I said earlier that I feel like you're still in the matrix. Like there's a part where I'm like, I really want you to get this because there's so much freedom on the other side of it. It's like, whatever. It's like the empathy conversation where you like kicked and screamed for years and you still do a little bit, but now you understand how important empathy is. Okay. When you make the Oracle deck for the podcast, like like half the cards can be patriarchy stress disorder. And the other half are going to be empathy cards. Fuck no, they're not. Only one empathy card. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited about the beaver card, but I'm a little nervous about the artwork. (laughs) I can't wait for the hamburgers and crows or whatever that. Yes. The crystal penis card. (laughs) Rainbow candle penis circles. You've drawn the penis candle card. Life (laughs) will now come to your life in a way that is maybe a little bit gross. (laughs) The end. (laughs) So it's always good to end on a penis candle. (laughs) So, oh man, we'll see. I told John that. in the ladies room ciao thanks for joining us be sure to subscribe to catch us in the ladies room you can also find lynn at a spacious life on facebook instagram and in clubhouse and find ally at five billion entrepreneurs on linkedin and instagram mm-hmm.